0: You're sitting in the press box with Graney and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas.
1: Follow them on Twitter at Ed Graney and Bischoff underscore Tyler.
2: Joining us now, the head coach of the Orlando Magic, Jamal Mosley. Good morning, Jamal Mosley. How coach. are you today? Good morning. So, I, I've got an important question for you. Uh, Cole Anthony on your team in Orlando. His father, pretty popular around these parts here in Las Vegas. How often do you get to see Greg Anthony at practice or games? Well, I don't get
1: to see him uh, at practices, but he's shown up to a couple games and he and I'll text back and forth a little bit, but he's just, he's, he's been so supportive. uh, I've known him for him for years uh, through my mentor, uh, Tim Gerger, who was at UNLV for those, those many years of of, of that great time.
3: Coach, can you talk about the development of Cole and kind of what is, what you see from him?
1: Oh gosh, Cole's come so far along in his development of of just his ability to to start to making you know the right decisions and plays, looking for teammates, uh, understanding how the game can keep slowing down for him. Uh, he has such an unbelievable work ethic that you know that, that, that sets him apart from so many people. Uh, he's always in the gym. You have to kick him out of gyms. Uh, I mean, this this kid is is a tireless worker and, and you know he wants to he wants to do very great things in this league
2: is there anything different when you have a player whose father had a ton of success playing basketball is there anything different approaching you know coaching them and developing them like does it do they have a different mindset or do you have a different mindset when coaching a player like that
1: well you know they can be coached um obviously because you know greg did a great job of you know instilling in him you know a work ethic obviously it's one but just being able to listen to what coaches are telling you uh, and that's the great thing about Cole is that if you tell him something, he's gonna he's gonna retain the information and try to go out there and do it. Uh, but is guys that have had you know fathers or relatives play within the league, they understand the game a little bit differently. But you can also you know coach them harder at times.
3: Coach, I want to talk about your pick Paulo Banquero uh, in the draft? Um, so th- it was a consensus maybe that there were three at the top of the draft, and I know you guys worked them all out and knew all about them, but what, what stood out? What what made that final decision in terms of him being the choice over maybe other guys that were also in that realm?
1: Well, you know, I think, you know, the thing about Paulo is that, you know, his one, you know, his, his, his competitive nature, his basketball IQ, his ability to play multiple positions, um, you know, defend multiple positions, as well as offensively, the versatility. Um, but again, he, he said it could have gone one through three, but the He's such a, a unique individual that, you know, his his level of IQ and toughness, competitiveness, and his the versatility that he provides is just, you know it, it's, it's just something special.
2: The NBA Summer League here in Las Vegas, uh coming up in July. I'm I'm curious, is there anything specific you want to see from Paolo Bancaro at the Summer League here? Well, you know,
1: I really just believe that it's getting acclimated to the game in, in that light, you know, getting on the floor with some of his teammates and just being able to play again. Uh, a lot of these guys that, you know, are coming out of the draft and leaving college, these guys hadn't played games, you know, basically since, since uh, you know, March. Uh, so them being able to get on the floor again and just get their bodies back in shape and get right other than just the individual workouts, you know, not to put any pressure on these guys, just being able to feel getting on the floor and playing five-on-five five again.
3: Coach, what what can a team learn about, like, a season last year? What did you want when you when you did exit interviews and everything? What was your main message after last year?
1: Well, just understanding the growth that we're going to have to, you know, hit when we walk into the new season, uh, understanding how our guys learned, how they got better. You know, defensively, how can we improve? Offensively, how can we continue to improve and level up? Um uh, Obviously, decision-making has been big for us, our, our understanding how we can become better decision-makers, how we can play without you know the dribble more and move without the basketball and just continue to level up. But that competitive edge that our guys had throughout the year and that joy that they had playing, the bas- playing basketball with and for one another is one thing that we're just going to continue to hit home on.
2: How yeah. much can the Summer League help with that?
1: I think it helps a ton. It sets the tone in so many ways for what we're going to do during training camp. It's a, a, also another way to look at different things that we can throw in during the year, uh, whether that's how we you know, cover pick and rolls or how we decide to uh, go into a different offensive action. We can get a real-time look at that, and now these guys can feel that before we walk into training camp with one another.
3: What, what was special about your journey? It wasn't like the, a lot of other guys who become head coaches in the league, but what do you think you learned from it, and, and why do you think that it got you to the point you're at?
1: You know, I just really – so, I always say that, that I'm so grateful for the ones that allowed me the opportunity just to be in the gym with them, the, the coaches, the players that allowed me to learn from them, you know, starting with George Carl um, and Tim Gergerich, those guys that taught me what to do when it came to being with special players. Uh, and just being about the players more than anything and helping them achieve their dreams and helping them become great players. So watching that from every level, from going from George and Gerd into being in Cleveland with Byron and then Mike uh, Brown and then going with Rick, it was just the different levels that I got to see people do it just afforded me the ability to be around great players, but just then take that from great coaches as well.
2: Jamal Mosley with us, head coach of the Orlando Magic. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, your playing career, you played in Australia, Spain, Finland, and South Korea? Um, correct, yes. What, what was the best place you played internationally?
1: Oh, you know, I really I really enjoyed all of them. I, I, I probably had the, the easiest transition was going to Australia. Uh, it was fresh out of college. Uh, The coach there I had known because of my one of my high school mentors, Uh, so that was probably the easiest transition. I really learned, you know, the 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 time I spent in Spain, which was great. You know, I I finally learned about wine a little bit while I was out there, and and phenomenal food. Uh, So that's that was really a a really great time in in my life.
3: And you can impart, can't you, to young players uh, who might not be ready for the league. Uh, the I don't know if importance is the word, but what you can learn going to different cultures and, and trying to play over there and make money and make yourself ready for the NBA. I mean, you've got a great experience that I'm assuming you can impart to younger guys who might not be ready.
1: Absolutely. I think it's, it's, it's a great to go and experience different cultures, understand that how basketball brings so many of us together. Because uh, once you touch that court and you're with, with that ball, it's, like, it's just everything becomes the same it's universal like everybody wants to play the right way you want to be able to move the ball you want to defend at a high level you want to be on the same page with your teammates you're you're focusing on the competition and on winning and getting guys better i think that's 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 universal and that's what i learned being in these other countries is that that's what these that's what they want you know you want to find a way to compete and be alongside your teammates and have fun and compete at the highest level that you
2: can um, Ed, you ate scorpion at the Beijing Olympics. Yes, Beijing uh, Olympics, Jamal, scorpion. Joel, I'm curious, did you eat anything weird in either South Korea or Australia or Spain or Finland? Anything you were like, oh, I won't try that again? I, I didn't get a
1: chance to do too much over there. I mean, I, <laughs> I, didn't, I, I, I didn't venture too far out.
2: <laughs> too busy with the wine.
1: I, I did learn about wine in, in Spain, absolutely. <laughs>
2: Well, he is Jamal Mosley, head coach of the Orlando Magic, the NBA Summer League, coming to Las Vegas starting on July 7th out at Thomas and Mack. Uh, Jamal, thank you so much for joining us this thank morning. You coach. We appreciate it.
1: Thank you guys for having me on. I'm truly grateful. I appreciate it. Appreciate it.
2: Thank you guys. So there is Jamal Mosley of the Orlando Magic going into his second year as the head coach. Has Cole Anthony, but we'll also have Paulo Bancaro. Um, what do you. How good do you think Palo Bancaro is right away?
3: I'm not sure, but you have to say, when we went back, I said he'd be the number one pick.
2: You did. You, did. you were all about yeah, Palo Bancaro. I don't know
3: why it was I was all about Palo Bancaro. Yeah. I just thought he was not well, big.
2: He, I mean, just from a watching college game standpoint, he looked better than Chet Holmgren. And then Jabari Smith sort of made a later push to be in that top three as well. But he looked better than Chet Holmgren. But I think there's, he was Probably more NBA ready than Chet Holmgren is. Holmgren has a little bit more of the upside. Are you excited though about the potential number one pick next year? Victor, I don't even know how to say his last I, name. Sam Sam, Sam was talking it.
3: about him and he said it about the uh, 30 times. I had only read a few things about him. I didn't know oh. I didn't know biggest uh biggest prospect
2: since LeBron. Um he is Victor Webbenyama. Uh, maybe that's he's, how you say it. He
3: Sam said what is he's seven two or seven three?
2: He is seven foot three. Uh, his wingspan is seven foot nine. Oh, god. <laughs> but he is uh, basically as skinny as Chet Holmgren. Like no, we're talking about. No, is he? has got. I mean, he's eight. He's like. I think he's eighteen. He's got to put some weight on at some point. But yeah, there is. There is some ridiculous size from Victor Webben Yama or however you say his last name. We'll find it out in the next year. Danny's, or
3: Danny's so. Danny's showing me pictures. That is a that oh. is a thin thin man.
2: Oh, yeah. He he looks ridiculous, but he's huge. Like, he is so long that if there's semi-competent dribbling and shooting skills, which he supposedly has. I was going to say,
3: he's, if he's the best prospect since LeBron, he better be able to shoot it.
2: Yeah. So, it's going to be ridiculous if he puts on some weight and actually develops into it. The physical traits there are ridiculous. Like, most of his highlights is him, like, defending on the perimeter and just blocking everybody's shot, regardless of how far away you <laughs> shoot it from. Him. Because he's he's so long, it's ridiculous. But I am excited for that. And that is what people think the Spurs are going after by trading away DeJounte Murray. Oh, but Murray. yeah,
3: totally tanking.
2: Yeah, he's trying to get this kid, but I don't know how good he'll be Right away. Maybe he'll be a superstar. I don't think, I mean, he's only 18 years old. I don't think he actually played big minutes in the European League that he was in. I don't remember which one he was in. But I don't think he actually played a lot of minutes over there. I think he was a role player at best. But uh, he's only 18, so that's probably why.
3: This isn't a draft and stash?
2: I think this is a draft and play right away yeah. situation. No, you're not using the 17th overall pick. To I love stash that to stash I... him. Yeah, that's right. Draft and stash. It's very key there. One day he'll come over and and be a role player. That's what they go for. All right. coming up next, we'll get into Bischoff's Briefs. Sports Bischoff's Briefs. So stop asking questions and get your jackhammer out. Bischoff's Briefs today is taking a look at Major League Baseball teams and which ones we should want here in Las Vegas. The Oakland A's they have a big meeting today. They're trying to get approval, basically a rezoning meeting. They're trying to get approval for the Howard Terminal site to be uh, zoned for a baseball park and not just whatever the hell they use that land for now. Um, Dave Koval already tweeted, it's like an elimination game, basically insinuating, uh-oh, if this doesn't go our way, we're eliminated from Oakland. Uh, so big vote today for the Oakland A's and their Howard Terminal ballpark site in Oakland. But I have identified seven teams that have varying levels of moving possibilities here, right? I'm not going with, like, the Yankees. Obviously, the Yankees aren't moving. These are just seven teams that maybe, maybe it's 1%, maybe it's 5%, but a decent chance that they could move, whereas the majority of teams in Major League Baseball have no chance of moving anywhere. I have seven teams with somewhat of a chance. So... Coming in at number seven and last place on this list of MLB teams we should want to move to Vegas is the Oakland A's. The A's (laughs) are currently 29th in payroll. This is a team that actually won the American League West in 2020 and have not invested in their team since then. Even when they have signs of being good, of contending, they do not try. There is zero effort. To win a World Series from ownership. And that's the key here in most of these rankings. Is ownership's desire to spend money and win. Because that I think that's the number one thing you cannot change. You can get new general managers, new coaches, new players. Ownership is there for a very, very long time. The A's do a good job of extracting value from cheap rosters. But they aren't winning a World Series. And... Everybody here hated when the Golden Knights traded Marc-Andre Fleury. The A's will do that every couple of years with whoever their best player is. Um, One other detail for Bischoff's briefs here is like nickname, color scheme. Las Vegas A's kind of sucks, right? Athletics is a boring name. And they'd probably keep it if they moved here because they were in Philly and they were in uh, Kansas City, I believe and they've been the athletics the entire time. Green and yellow is fine. It's a little, it's not the most common color scheme, so I'm on board with green and yellow as the color scheme, but Las Vegas A's would not be a fun nickname. Coming in at number six, the Cincinnati Reds. Uh, The Reds are on this list because their ownership is sort of vaguely threatened to move in Cincinnati. I think they want a new ballpark or maybe upgrades, but they vaguely threaten Cincinnati, so they're here. They might use this as leverage one day. But the Cincinnati Reds, 21st in payroll this year. Since 1998, the Reds have not been top 10 in payroll one time. They have been 12th or 13th a couple of times, but the Reds don't spend a lot of money. And right after the lockout ended this year, they basically destroyed their own roster, traded everybody away. They're not as bad as the A's, but it's still an ownership group that's not that interested in winning. As far as nickname and color scheme, Las Vegas Reds, also sucks it's about as bad as las vegas a's and whatever they're just red like there's nothing special about the reds or their color scheme coming in at number five the miami marlins they just got a new ballpark so it's not likely that they'd move at the moment at least not ballpark related but like how many fans do they have maybe they'd want to move be a little exciting uh so the marlins are on this list they also never spend money uh they're just as bad if not worse than the a's however the interesting part about the marlins when they do make the playoffs they usually win the world series uh the miami marlins have never won their division they've been to the playoffs three times they've won two world series it's incredible absolutely incredible that they have won two world series despite never having a division championship Their color scheme, I like it a lot. The teal and orange is fun. I don't think they actually have a very good jersey or logo, though, so maybe we can change that. Las Vegas Marlins. Actually kind of like it. It doesn't make any sense, but I wouldn't hate it. But the key with the Marlins here, they're like 30 years old. Not that hard to rebrand them if they moved here. The Reds and the Athletics are really old, and they probably wouldn't rebrand, but the Marlins probably would. So we'd probably get a whole new nickname if the Marlins came here. Coming in at number four, the Arizona Diamondbacks. There have been past rumors of Diamondbacks relocation. I think that's where you and Cassie went, right, Ed?
3: That's where we went. I drove Yeah, them.
2: Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, ballpark drama is always the key for a team relocating. Maybe the Diamondbacks will have some. It's Arizona. Maybe I'm just conflating them with the Coyotes, but it seems like they always have some problem in Arizona. The Diamondbacks don't spend a lot of money either, which is a key theme for all these teams here. Uh, They're 24th in payroll this season. They were top 10 in the early 2000s, and they won a World Series, too. Since then, they're always in the bottom half, usually in the bottom eight or so. So it's still not good, but maybe we have at least some history that a Diamondbacks team would spend some money and win. They've done it once before. Uh, Diamondbacks is a fine nickname. Uh, if they stay the Las Vegas Diamondbacks, that might be a little strange, but I think they're an organization. You could change the nickname to just like Marlins. Uh, if they kept Diamondbacks, I would need them to go back to the purple. I don't like this red stuff. Just go back to the purple. That's a great color scheme. Please use that instead. Coming in at number three, the Tampa Bay Rays. Uh, they are trying to get their ballpark situation resolved as well. So maybe they want a new one. Maybe we're going to get used as leverage for the Tampa Bay Rays as soon as the A's get their ballpark plan in Oakland figured out. Wouldn't doubt that happening. Uh, But they're kind of the A's of the East Coast. They're 24th in payroll, don't tend to spend a lot of money. But they didn't go to the 2020 World Series. They have more success than Oakland, and they spend a little bit of money. Not much, but they do spend a little bit of money it's basically a better version of the a's is what the tampa bay rays are now name and color scheme las vegas rays would actually make some sense with like the sun like that wouldn't be too crazy devil rays doesn't like uh, do we have i guess mandalay bay's aquarium has some devil rays in there but i actually like devil rays so i approve and just like the diamondbacks color scheme we need to go back to their purple and teal. Whatever they have now, is it's fine. But the purple and teal color scheme of the, the Tampa Bay Rays is much, much better. Number two on the list, the Milwaukee Brewers. Um, the Brewers are on here because apparently they want some public funding to renovate their current ballpark. So they might be doing the whole find another city, use them as leverage if Milwaukee doesn't give them money. Uh, I doubt they'd actually leave, but they might be like, hey, Las Vegas, how do you feel about the Brewers? The Brewers, though, just like most of these teams, don't spend much money. 17th in payroll, so they're a little higher than most. They were 10th in 2012, so a little sooner or more recent than everybody else that they were in the top 10. And they're solid contenders right now. I don't know how long that will last, but the Brewers are a pretty good team that you could, I mean, if things went right, the Brewers could win the World Series this season. However, Brewers is like the one of the best nicknames in Major League Baseball. It would not make any sense keeping it for Vegas though. It works perfectly with Milwaukee and Wisconsin. I don't know that Las Vegas Brewers makes very much sense. And their baseball glove logo that makes an M and a B, you'd obviously have to ditch that because you're now Las Vegas and that doesn't work. Their number 2 Coming in at number one. Hold on, we're going to guess. Oh, you're going to guess. I'm
3: going to guess. I think it's an easy guess.
2: Okay. The Angels. Does Danny have a guess?
4: I want to guess, and if I'm wrong, I want to know why they're not on your list, because we talked about them about a week or two ago, and there was some concern about potentially moving the team. Is it the Orioles?
2: It is not the Orioles. Um, The Orioles are not on the list because... I don't believe their little family lawsuit where one of the guys claims the other brother is trying to move them out of Baltimore because I don't know. I don't know why they would move out of Baltimore. I think that's just family petty drama there. Ed is correct. It is the angels. Thanks to Michael Perkins yesterday who made that suggestion. They don't have a great ballpark. Uh, It's not hard to envision the angels at some point being like, we need a new ballpark. Please give us money or we're moving. And we get the Las Vegas angels just like we have the Las Vegas A's at the moment. Uh, They're also kind of not really in Los Angeles, right? Like it's a big media market, but they're not actually in it. Uh, So maybe they would actually consider leaving Los Angeles. We'd actually have to see that. But the Angels are number one here. They're ninth in payroll this season. Over the last 19 seasons, the worst the Angels have been in payroll is 11th. They spend money, right? They are not afraid to do so. There's not really much winning recently, so that's a concern. They spend but not well, but I would rather have the owner that's willing to spend but does it very poorly than the owner that's not willing to spend and finds good value because one of those seems more easy to correct, and that is, oh, just hire a good general manager and you'll stop spending money like a moron. For some reason, I love Las Vegas Angels. I don't know. It seems it seems like an oxymoron, right? But I well, I, kind I, of I can loved. tell
3: you the reasons. A couple <laughs> guys in the lineup,
2: <laughs> but
3: especially one guy in the lineup.
2: No, no, I'm just saying I love the nickname. Oh, Las Vegas okay. Vegas Angels. Like I would be perfectly fine with them keeping Angels and moving to Vegas. Like it's an oxymoron, but I kind of love it. Color schemes fine, the logo's solid, whatever. But yes, give us Trout and Otani. Yes, that would be fun. So there you go. Seventh place, Oakland. Sixth place, Cincinnati. Fifth place Miami, fourth Arizona, third Tampa, two Milwaukee, and number one. If we got to pick, the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim would be the team I'd like to move here.
3: I like Cincinnati. You do? Yeah.
2: I There's very little redeeming quality. Yes, in I know. The I don't know Reds. why.
3: I don't know why I like Cincinnati. <laughs> kind of like their unis.
4: I what? would. I yeah. would. Uh, uh, I was gonna say I would actually. Enjoy the brewers coming out here and keeping the name because we do Las have Las Vegas a brewers. Lo- we have a lot of breweries. breweries. Oh, they get town. a lot.
3: There'd be a lot of outfield signage.
4: There'd be signage. There would be breweries having their own places in the ballpark. I think that would be a good Danny's one. Danny's
3: thinking about himself here.
4: No, <laughs> thinking about all the other tens of thousands of people in this town that love going <laughs> to those.
2: Uh, all right. Enjoy your wedding, Ed. You're all right, buddy. A couple of minutes Thank early. You. Thank coming you. up next. J.R. Starkus joins the show. Make sure you watch the Dodgers app. Ready for the weekend?
3: It's like I picked the wrong week to quit drinking.
1: Let's find out what's on tap with J.R. Starkus.
4: Champagne. Perfume going in. Sewage coming out.
2: J.R. Starkus, Southern Glazers Wine and Spirits, our extreme mixologist. Can you believe Ed ditched you?
0: Uh, yes. Again, uh, I feel like he's always leaving for something, what, who, but what, what, what wedding is, I mean, I mean, in during the day, like what's going on
2: No, nah, they're flying out today. The wedding's tomorrow. I don't know. I don't know okay. where it is, but I think he said it was his niece or something like that, but yeah, he's got a wedding to go to. Um, how do you feel about watching a baseball game on your phone during a wedding?
0: Uh, I've 100% done it. Um, and I've done it during a bunch of, like, there was an event, actually, I heard, when I heard you guys talking earlier this morning, there was a big event that we had at Southern a couple years ago uh, in October when the Red Sox were in, like, the playoffs. And, they had, and they're like, oh, it's all these VIPs, and everybody had to be there. And I was like, uh, okay. So I had my earbud in my ear and my phone in my back pocket because I couldn't take the phone out. There was too many people walking around to see it. But um, I was definitely listening to the game in my earbud. And I just kind of had my head cocked. To the because I only have one earbud in, to, so the earbud was in my left ear and my right ear was faced towards the stage. So whoever was looking at me could only see that I was listening and like attempting to listen, but I was really listening to the game. Um, definitely done that before, and I am all for it. Um, I'm can't really get away with it at church. I've tried to do it at church, and that's, uh, <laughs>
4: that's definitely a
0: no-no. Um, but uh, but it has been like. It's, it's been almost attempted, but I can feel like my wife's eyes burning a hole through me. So I was like, ah, I better not do that right now. I don't need to make her angry. So I have not the, attempted it there. But uh, the weddings, uh, all kinds of stuff, yeah, for sure. Fair game. This,
2: the single earbud, that, that's a good plan. I, I appreciate that one a lot. Yeah. that's a, You know, everybody walks
0: around with a an earbud. And, and now, you know, it's like it's, it's, it's almost like it's common practice to thing. It's part of your... Yeah. It's part of your, your attire, right? So it's not so out of the norm to see somebody with a earbud in, whether they're on the phone or not. So yeah. I just left it in and listened to the game.
2: All right. Um, give me some congratulations here. What did you think of the Ole Miss baseball team?
0: Man, uh, pretty incredible. Some It was fun to watch. Uh, you know, you watch the team kind of go, I don't want to call it first to worst, but they were the first team, first ranked team in the nation and then just fell off the map and then barely snuck in on the selection show. And, um, you know, everybody kept saying, don't let them get hot. And they certainly did. Congratulations to you and that team. That, that, was, that was great. I mean, you saw, you know, anybody like my son or any young men looking to play at the next level. Um, if you watched college baseball and, and you, you kind of have to take a look and be like, that's what I'm up against. Those are some grown men right there. Um, and especially, you know, some of these teams, Ole Miss had a number of kids that were in their sixth year <laughs> uh, or fifth or sixth year, you know, like, uh, I know that, like, I heard a stat, like, for Notre Dame, when they beat Tennessee, uh, in the super regional, they said that Notre Dame had, like, eight of their nine starters had already graduated. One kid already had, like, three degrees. And I was like, jeez, man, like, you know, so this is kind of what you're walking into. Now, I don't know how long it's going to take to filter through, uh, maybe another year or two to filter those kids out so that way they don't have all that eligibility left. But, uh, it was, it was fun to watch big, big, young men playing baseball at at a highly competitive uh, level and with a lot of vigor. And that's the part I enjoy about the most is just so much passion in college baseball. Uh,
2: Have you been to Omaha for the college world series?
0: No, I was going to go this year. um, But then with the way that my travel schedule set up um, with, with traveling with JT for baseball and such, and and the way that work is like we have a right now we're closing a big month in June is a lot of companies do some of their fiscal closes in the middle of our calendar year and so it's tough very tough for me to travel in june um it just made it all the tougher when you're, you're i'm traveling quite a bit in july for baseball so i had to um i had to not do omaha this year my plan is definitely to figure out a way to do it next year though It's, it's got to be something i do before my son goes to the college
2: there is a bar near the ballpark in omaha that does a jello shot challenge every year to see yeah. which fan mm-hmm. base will buy the most jello shots What do you think of Jello shots? Are those those a good part of a bar experience, or do you not like Jello shots?
3: No,
0: I I think they're fun. You know, it's you know, you you take the Jello and you add some, you know, in place of water, you add a flavor of of spirit, whether it be like I've done Jello shots with Crown Apple, I've done them with you know just plain vodka. They're they're fun. Like have fun with them for sure. It's a it's a fun way to drink. Um, And I saw that like I saw the tally board that they put up and. Naturally, Ole Miss like absolutely smoked everybody by like ten thousand Jello shots or something like that. It was incredible. Uh, But I think it's a fun way to drink.
2: All right, you are making for us a Fourth of July drink.
0: Yeah, yeah, I'm going to do a Fourth of July drink. Obviously, coming up this week. But I wanted to do something like almost, almost uber simple. And the reason I did that is because you know, typically it's a beer holiday for sure, right? We know that Fourth of July is a big beer holiday. A lot of people drink beer. And if you're going to drink a cocktail, it's probably going to have to be something really simple to build. There might be kids over. There's probably a lot of people if you're barbecuing, or maybe you're even asked to bring something to somebody's house. Um, so I, I kind of went with the idea of maybe that's what you've been asked to do. And, and so here's what you can do. It's, it's a really simple um, I- I- ingredients, and the garnish is kind of fun too because it's also on the theme of jello shots to a degree. So what I have done is I, I i'm calling it the firecracker lemonade and the firecracker lemonade starts with an ounce and a half of sky strawberry vodka that's just poured over ice into a large rocks glass or in this probably case in fourth of july it's going to go into uh, you know a dixie cup or something like that somebody's barbecue um on top of that you're going to put four ounces of pink lemonade now you can go and buy pink lemonade if you want um but i, I made pink lemonade and you know, making lemonade is simple. It's one part lemon, one part sugar or simple syrup, and then two parts water. Um, and what all you have to do to make pink lemonade is is instead of adding, you know, uh, one full ounce or one part of simple syrup, just add a little bit of grenadine to it to color it, and you'll make yourself pink lemonade. Very, very simple. So I made a, a pink lemonade. I put four ounces of the pink lemonade on top of my uh, Sky Infusions Wild or Strawberry Vodka. And then I topped it with about an ounce and a half. Of Fever Tree aromatic tonic water. That Fever Tree aromatic tonic water is pink in color as well. Um, it adds the by adding the tonic water to it, it adds this kind of like zip and this this tanginess to it. Of, of course, it adds a little bit of bubble as well, but it adds a, a kind of a nice a nice zip to the flavor of a, the palate, and it's very cleansing and cooling for the for the warm days. Um, so, adding an ounce or two, about an ounce and a half of the Fever Tree aromatic tonic water. Give it a little stir together, and that's the drink. So if if you have kids, you can just you can literally you can just do the lemonade. You can add a little bit of the tonic water to the lemonade and then add the vodka later. If, if you're going to do an adult-only thing, put it all, batch it all. Right before you serve it, just add the tonic water to it. Stir it. The Fever Tree tonic water will keep its bubbles for some time. You don't want to add it the night before if you're batching it. You want to add it kind of like when the party starts. Um, but it will hold its bubbles for, for quite some time, and it's just a really great drink. Now, the garnish is what you kind of have to make ahead of time if you want. So I took fresh strawberries and um, I took those strawberries and I soaked them in Fireball. And so I I put them into a mason jar and I soaked them for, you can do it for a couple hours overnight, whatever you want, but a couple hours is pretty much all you need to really get that good flavor of Fireball. And then uh, when you let them kind of like dry a little bit, because you don't want to do it when it's wet, I melted a little bit of white chocolate. I dipped them in white chocolate, and then I touched it with a little bit of blue sugar at the end, so it was the red, white, and blue. Um, but they make a great snack. Don't let the kids have these, but make a little <laughs> great snack um, so you can garnish your drink with a firecracker strawberry, which is infused with Fireball, and drink your lemonade, and you have a really festive, fun, and uh, slightly intoxicating beverage for the holiday weekend. It's a great one.
2: Firecracker strawberry. You come up with that all by yourself.
0: Firecracker strawberries are all over the place, man. I mean,
4: I've oh, you've seen people
0: okay. do – yeah, I mean, I don't know what they call them, but, like, people infuse fruit all the time. Um, yeah. So I'm sure people have infused fruit or strawberries with Fireball before. So, uh, I'm, I, you know, I'd love to say that I took credit for that one, but I'm, I'm, not, I'm not changing the world here. So I'm sure somebody's done it beforehand. Um, but it's something that if you have Fireball, you're like, what the hell do I do with this summertime? Because people think cinnamon is such a fall flavor. Well, this is, how, this is what you do with it during the summertime if you're not just going to do a shot. If maybe drinking Fireball by itself sometimes is a little too much for people, infuse your strawberries with it. and uh, Or, you know, you can even infuse watermelon with it. Same, same idea. And it, and it will play well in, in the cocktail.
2: What holiday are you under the most pressure to make good alcoholic drinks?
0: Uh, probably around, let's see, well, man, that's a, that's a tough one. That's a good question. I would say... Christmas or Thanksgiving are probably the, the the ones I get asked for the most. The hardest one for me to do, like themed drinks for every single year, the hardest one always seems to be uh, Halloween uh, because everybody has this like, oh, the drink has to be black and full of spiders or something, and I just like it's not <laughs> an appealing drink to me. So um, I, I struggle with it every time because I, I you know, I obviously want to give the the consumer or the listener what they want. Um, But then at the same time, I also want to make something that doesn't suck. And that's, you know, and and so that that can be tough sometimes. Like the black, the black drink, the color that it's just not an appealing beverage. Uh, So I I don't know. I I struggle with Halloween the most, but I get the most asks for Thanksgiving and Christmas, probably. Because the people want, people are trying to find something they they can drink as a family um, and they, they can do it like, you know, as the day goes. So you need to do something that, you know. Um, it, it's 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 not going to get you hammered like off of one. It needs to be something that's a little more length of time.
2: You're not uh, going to use like a dead spider as a garnish for a Halloween drink?
0: <laughs> no, I You know, I just like I can't do it, man. Like I look every year, I like walk through the party store and I look at all the stuff that give me inspiration, and uh, I'm like, oh god. I, it's, so that one's the hardest one for me. Now the spider, like I guess maybe I'll do a spider for you this year, like a little plastic spider, like uh, ring or something.
2: I was, the, you know, Ed ate a scorpion in Beijing. So I'm thinking like a fireball-infused spider dipped in white chocolate.
0: Mm, yum! Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I can't believe it. I can't I can't believe Ed ate a a scorpion. It must have been by mistake.
2: No, he's he did it for for content. He was writing a blog about it, so he did it for content, is what it was. I don't know. He I mean, could expense he's... he could expense it, so it was a free it was a free scorpion to eat.
0: Yeah, but still, I feel like Ed is not very adventurous. Like, I know Gramala wouldn't do it, and then, like, the next person on (laughs) my list is Ed to not do it. So, I I mean, it's – I don't know. That that strikes me because I wouldn't do it. There's no way I would be like, yeah, let me try that. No interest to me.
4: Oh,
2: I'd try a scorpion. You wouldn't try a scorpion? Come on.
0: No, no, absolutely not. Uh, It's not appealing to me. Eating bugs is – I've had my share. Like, when I go to Mexico, I'll do, like – I've had, like, crickets and ants in the food um you know this delicacy down there um in certain parts of Mexico and I tried that and um you know it's, it's say okay I I'm, I I tried it but that's that's about as far as it go I I'm not like hey let me get that again
2: well he's JR Starkus don't give him a scorpion or a spider or he'll make you a good <laughs> drink for the 4th of July uh JR makes drinks on Instagram to see all the drinks that he made for that has that he has made for us JR Southern Glazers Wine and Spirits our extreme mixologist we appreciate it JR you bet. Talk to you soon. So there's JR Starkus. And now we've got tickets to give away. Four tickets to the NBA Summer League for any day. All 30 teams are here. You get up to eight games in a single day, July 7th through the 17th, out at the Thomas & Mac. Four tickets, 702-364-1100. Those four tickets can be yours. Call 702-364-1100. Be caller number 8 at 702 702- 364 1100. We're back to the Press Box Morning Show with Ed Graney and Tyler Bischoff. Ed is gone. Thanks to JR Starkus for joining us. Danny is still here. Um, so we've got another LIV tour uh, event this weekend, and it's the first one Brooks Koepke is playing in?
4: Correct. It begins today at, I believe, 1 o'clock.
2: Okay. Uh, how much does Brooks Kepka get paid if he finishes in last place?
4: Um, at least a hundred thousand, but his contract with the Live Tour, I believe, is a hundred million.
2: Oh, that's nice. That's a nice payday, huh? Doing um, things
4: for the family.
2: Yeah. Do you think uh, you think this turn this tournament survives, Danny?
4: Uh, I think it survives for a couple of years, just strictly based on how much money the company has that's backing the tour.
2: It's a ridiculous amount of money. Like and, it's such an insane amount.
4: Yeah, I think I saw something that said the company that runs the live tour is worth like 500 billion dollars or something.
2: That's pretty nice. So, here's my question. Is this on TV anywhere?
4: It is not on TV, however, it streams on their website. It streams on I believe Facebook and it streams somewhere else. I can't remember what the third one is. Have
2: you uh, how much of this have you watched?
4: Uh, The first event I watched, total, probably about an hour and a half to two hours.
2: And was it like a good streaming product or was it a pain to watch?
4: Uh, No, not at all. Just uh, I used their main website because I didn't realize that it was streamed on Facebook. So I just went to their website and it was a clear stream. The only thing I don't like is that even though they show like the top, 15 or 20 uh, players at, at a time on the left side of the screen, it's weird because they don't spell out their name. They put the first initial and like the first two or three letters of their last name. So you kind of got to know who they are.
2: Yeah. So I think to me, the big thing about this LIV tour surviving, it's going to end up being their television, their media deal, right? Like if they're, If no television's network picks them up and they're just streaming it on their own, they're not going to make significant money off of that because most of our sports leagues make so much money off of their media deals. I mean, we talk about it with college sports, hell, with how much conferences make and how little the Mountain West makes compared to the SEC or the Big Ten. But it's true of all of our professional sports, and it's going to be true of this too. If they sign this massive television deal, with whatever whatever TV company in the US and I I guess they've got they can do it worldwide so they can sign one in the US one in England and everywhere else that would be interested in this if they sign a massive media deal they're gonna survive and they're gonna be just fine but I guess the question is is somebody willing to like do you think would there be blowback if like let's just say cbs sports network was like yep we're the official home of the liv tour 100 like golfers have gotten blowback do you think cbs sports network would get a bunch of blowback for that
4: i would say 100 percent because there is already issues surrounding the tournament this weekend because it is the first one in the u.s and the it, this one's in Portland, or like a suburb of Portland, and the mayor and residents of the town that it's taking place in have already voiced their concerns, and the mayor tried to get the tournament removed from the golf course.
2: Well, okay. It does, does the mayor have the ability to no. do that?
4: No. Ed okay. and I were talking earlier, and golf courses are privately owned so unless (laughs) unless the town owns the golf course the town really doesn't have a say in who plays at the golf course
2: right like yeah okay that's what i was like we don't have any say over like what events are at t-mobile arena like t-mobile arena is owned by mgm and aeg and foley or whatever so we don't have a say overall they're booking this event i don't think there's ever been an event at t-mobile that people have an issue with but like we don't have a say over, it, so I wouldn't think you'd have a say over what a private golf course is doing for L I V, but okay. I mean, that's interesting. I like that's the part because if you are if you're a television network, there's probably a lot of money to be made if you broadcast the L I V tour. Because I'm I'm guessing, I'm not the biggest golf fan, but I'm guessing lots of people are interested in this and there are enough big name golfers over there that people would watch it. And uh. Is Am I true on that?
4: Um, I think people want to see how it's going. I'm not sure if there's a lot of interest from, like, diehard PGA Tour followers. Um, I'm sure that a lot of, like, a lot of people who don't agree with uh, the mindset of the people who are back in this tour, they probably want to see it fail. So, but as far as, like, the viewers, I'm sure they're going to get quite a bit at least for the first year see how it goes like there will be eyes on it
2: how many more let's say top 25 golfers in the world does the liv tour need for them to be like oh they actually have the best golfers now
4: uh i think for top 25 they probably have to take at least half of them
2: okay do they have any of the top 25
4: yes i believe they have three Uh, I can't remember who they are, but I believe they have at least three.
2: Okay. Because that's the part I'm curious about is how many top golfers actually switch.